everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hosted. As you all know, this is an opportunity for hosts to be on the other side of the mic. They get to answer the questions. I get to ask the questions. And today we have a really exciting guest on the show. We have Steve Hoffman, or maybe you might know him a little bit better as Captain Hoff, but he is the he is the host of Founder Space, also the CEO of Founder Space. He's also an investor. He is an author and a serial entrepreneur. Steve, welcome to the show. Oh, it's fantastic to be here. Thank you for having me. Did I capture that pretty accurately? You captured it. I do all that and I've done a lot more. Uh, some <laughs> people like to say I've had more careers than cats have had lives. So I've done, you know, I used to work in Hollywood. I was a game designer. I did, you know, I worked on rewriting uh, manga, Japanese comic books. I did yes. all sorts of things in my career. Oh my goodness. I had no idea. My son would be absolutely thrilled to know that, that you ah. um, were involved in, in, in manga in any, any sort of form. So that's incredible. Yeah. So I worked <laughs> on big series like Naruto. He probably knows yes. that Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. We have a little bit of an obsession with that. So um, yeah, that's really exciting. My yes. goodness. And you know, I've been, what I have been is I've been a mix between an entrepreneur and a creative person. So I've always mm -hmm. been working at the crossroads of uh, creativity. I went to film school, uh, studied film and television, and then I also studied electrical engineering. So I kind of brought those together. I worked at first in Hollywood as a TV executive, so worked my way up the ladder. Then I jumped over uh, to Japan to work for the game company Sega, when it had mm -hmm. just surpassed Nintendo as the number one video game company. Then I came back to the U.S. and started my own game company, launched a bunch of different games. Gazillionaire was probably the most popular. It was how to become a gazillionaire, how to become rich. And uh, then I went on uh, to launching venture-funded startups out of Silicon Valley. So I launched a series of venture-funded startups. And today... I run Founderspace, which is also the name of my podcast, the Founderspace podcast. And that is all about how entrepreneurs can take their businesses to the next level. So everything they need to know, everything I've learned from doing all my crazy careers and all my businesses and everything, you know, now I work with hundreds of entrepreneurs all over the world. I mean, founder, we have, we have over 50 partners in 22 countries right now. So we're a global wow. organization. And before I broke my leg, which I just broke, I used to be traveling all the time. Oh my goodness. What a career path. And I, and you know, it's interesting when you started to tell me the various places that you've been, I was trying to, to find that, that connectivity, that thread, but as you're explaining it, it, it connects very well. I mean, it seems yeah. like you're, your kind of launch pad to entrepreneurship happened when you, as you were working with the, with Sega and the gaming companies, and then realizing that you wanted to start your own business around exactly. gaming. When I was working for Sega, I was building games for this large Japanese company and really cool games. I mean, they were really fun. We were building like cutting edge stuff, like simulation rides for Las Vegas that starred Michael oh, wow. Jackson, things like that. That's what I was working. I got to meet Michael Jackson. It was really fun. It was the early days. And then um, I got the bug and I said, no, I shouldn't be doing this for them. I should be doing this for me. 
So I came back, uh, flew back uh, to California, Silicon Valley, which is near my home. And I literally launched my first company out of my basically garage. <laughs> it was a little office next to my garage that I launched the first company. It was called Lava Mind. And, you know, I didn't have any money, like so many uh, entrepreneurs when they're beginning. So I, you know, did all the coding myself. Luckily, I knew how to code. And then I did all the graphics because I was a creative guy and the stories and everything just came together. And like our first game, it was called Gazillionaire, as I mentioned. It was mm -hmm. at the very beginning of the kind of launch of, it was like pre-internet days. Like the internet wasn't even here. So we couldn't even put the game on the internet. Like in those early days, we had to put it on what were called floppy disks. Yeah. Oh, yes. I don't even remember. I floppy. remember them and I remember the games. We used yeah. to, in, you know, in the library in, in high school, I would be putting in floppy disks into the computer and play games. Yeah, so those were the games. We had eight floppy disks, and we <laughs> literally, uh, I would uh, I would package them up in an envelope and mail them to people. So people would find out because we uploaded a shareware version of the game to what was called a BBS, a bulletin board, uh, mm -hmm. which was pre-real uh, internet, pre-Netscape, pre pre-browsing of the internet that we do today, where you literally have to upload it. And then the geeks, only the geeks were on there. They would find them. But luckily... Most of the geeks were also gamers, so they would find yeah. it and they would buy our game. And eventually, uh, that very first game uh, got downloaded by the testers, the game testers, at the largest PC game publisher in the world. It was called Spectrum uh, uh, Spectrum Holobyte Microprose. That was the name of the company at the time. And they went nuts over it. And their president called us up and said, we have to publish this game. So our tiny game you know, that we created, uh, you know, in, in, you know, two of us doing all the work we created literally went worldwide. And that was the, my first entrepreneurial business. That's incredible. And, and, you know, you, you gave me a little bit of background in our listeners that you, you went to film school, but you also were, you were, you had an engineering background. Where did coding come into play? How did you, well, did so, you teach yourself how to code? You know, prior. In high school, I taught myself to code. Impressive. And then in college, I studied electrical computer engineering, which is okay. mostly circuits, which didn't really do me much good. Yeah. Uh, I should have studied coding. Uh, but then when I uh, I left Sega, I just got my head back into coding. I just decided I'm going to I, you know, because I didn't study it in college and there was a huge gap, I wasn't a brilliant coder. So the game, like the first, this shows you, you don't really have to be like cutting edge in technology. You just have to create something unique. Mm -hmm. So the first game we created, Gazillionaire, literally, it was outdated the day we released it. Like the graphics weren't very good. The, the, the you know, uh, the coding was, you know, subpar. It wasn't super high tech, but it was completely addictive to people. Yeah. Like, because you were an entrepreneur in the game in a far off galaxy. And the game was a business simulation. So you were literally running a business. And we made, I, my belief was I wanted to make nonviolent games that would mm -hmm. actually help adults and kids, right? Uh, yeah. To think and not just shoot, right? Mindless shooters. Um, so that was my, I wanted to create something good for society. And I put like my whole heart and soul into it. And the graphics are crazy. And the game, literally in the game magazines, uh, our publisher actually ended up getting really upset. 
because they spent millions and millions of dollars on on a Star Trek game. Like this was their flagship. And when our little game that we made for a few thousand dollars in our time came out, uh, that little game got better reviews. In the it's game incredible. So they were like upset, you know, and that little game we made is still around today and it's still selling. Like it's used in hundreds of schools. It's used in universities. It's used by the, you know, California penal system bought it to help reform criminals. Wow. It, and, and, and it's on steam, the biggest game site in the world, you know, yeah. for PC games. Yeah. Uh, and people still download it. It's like super highly rated. And it's that same game that was outdated the day we released it. So my message to everybody out there is don't let like things like you you don't know the technology hold you back. If you put your heart and soul into your business, into whatever you're doing, your customers will will find you and and they will love you because they at the end of the day, they care about the product and how it makes them feel and what it mm -hmm. does for them. They don't care about the technology. Nobody cares about the technology. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's truly, it's, it's more of the experience. I mean, I remember playing Oregon Trail. Uh, oh, Oregon and, Trail. Yes. That, those were the days you really, you were a gamer. <laughs> I was. Yeah. And I loved it. And, I, it, you know, like horrible graphics, you know, you think about, I mean, some of the games that I was playing back in the day, but it was so, I mean, the way that they were put together right. and you completely lost yourself in them. And if you yeah. think about it, it's like a board game. A board game doesn't have great graphics, but when you're like, if you're really into the board game, it comes alive. Like suddenly yeah. that risk board, which is so simple, or the monopoly board becomes much more than just the board. So, you know, all the graphics, they're fun, but they're not the core. I actually wrote a book on game design too. So called Game Design Workshop, a very popular book, uh, because, you know, the heart of game design isn't the graphics. The heart of mm -hmm. game design is the, uh, the, the structure, how you structure and the mechanics of gameplay. And like you're saying, if they do well on those, it's like a movie with a great script. It can, like it can actually, you know, the photography isn't the most important thing. It's great to have a movie with, you know, cinematic photography and all this, but you can get totally lost in a low budget film that's really well acted and really well scripted. Yeah, I completely agree. And I also think there's a little bit of correlation between that and podcasting because I do think that you, you just even thinking about the games, you have to you have to tap into your imagination and creativity a bit instead of it being fed to you by state-of-the-art graphics or cinematography or whatever it might be. You get to you you get to imagine a little bit more of of what what that world is to you. And I think that podcasting, I think that's why Serial was so popular when it, when it launched, um, you know, you're hearing the story, but you're also, you get to be creative and starting to put the pictures together. Yes. So the great podcasters out there, you know, the, it doesn't matter if they have, you know, the best microphone in the world or the best ca camera or whatever, you know, at the end of the day, it's them right? And their creativity, mm -hmm. their ability to tell stories, their ability to bring ideas and crystallize ideas. That's why I love it. Like, because I just love talking to creative thinkers, whether they're engineers, whether they're business people, whether they're artists, you know, and I, on the Founder Space podcast, it's really like, for my podcast, it's really about uh, entrepreneurs. It's all about entrepreneurs. But I get interesting people on. I just had Miriam Shulman, and yep. she is an artist. She's on my podcast. She's an artist. And so I had her on, but she is an artist and business person. 
So she teaches artists how to be how to be entrepreneurs. And I thought that's so fascinating. And she's fascinated because she used to work, make huge amounts of money working for Wall Street hedge funds. And, you know, she was MIT trained engineer. She did all these things. But then she followed her passion and became an artist. Um, and she figured out how to make art actually pay. And she's a good artist on top of it. But, you know, there are a lot of good artists out there who are starving. So yeah. she was one person. And then I just try to get all sorts of people from different perspectives who think creatively about their life. And I don't care what they're doing as long as, you know, it doesn't have to be like a traditional business as long as they are thinking really deeply about it and they have something to share with people. Yeah, I think you do a fantastic job. I was listening to your interview with Chris Carr. Oh, yes. Um, the other day. About yeah. Chat GPT, the whole yes. chat. Yeah, and Chris is a he's a marketer, right? So he's a marketing guy, but he thought really deeply about these new AI uh, tools out there that all of us, like including podcasters, <laughs> you know, we're all like, if you're a podcaster and not taking advantage of AI, uh, uh, too bad for you because AI is just another tool out there, yet it's an extremely powerful tool. You know, we see this with uh, new applications like Descript, right? So mm -hmm. Descript is out there and, you know, podcasters are using it. It totally changes what it means to edit a podcast. You know? Yeah. You wouldn't even think that you could do that a few years ago. And now today, you know, you're editing words. It's automatically cutting the pod. It's, you know, it's unbelievable. And then there are other tools on the way for vloggers, video bloggers and, and, and podcasters. And, you know, literally one of the biggest problems that podcasters have today that I find is getting good music, background music. Mm -hmm. And they don't always want to use the same thing. Some people want to have variety, but, you know, first of all, the royalties are really expensive, uh, you know, uh, for getting music really, uh, uh, time consuming to figure out which music works for your show. Now they have tools, AI tools that do a bunch of things for, for podcasters. Number one is, uh, podcasters. There's, there's sites out there like Amper. I don't, have you used Amper? I haven't used Amper. No, tell me about it. So Amper is, is literally an AI powered site. And there's a bunch of these out there that they're just probably the leading one where you can go on and literally make your own music. You can make your own music. So, and it's easy. It's not hard. You can pick the style you want, jazz, you know, I want hip hop, I, you know, I want classical. And then you can just start to tweak it. And I'm not even a musician, but it's so easy. It's just like chat GPT is, which most people have used for writing. Like you just put mm -hmm. in your ideas and then something comes out that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Better than you could have written. And then you can tweak it. You do the same thing in Amper with music. You, you kind of play with it and it puts out something you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. Then you can use it for very low cost. Like, you know, spend five bucks and you get the song and you can put it on your podcast. So it's incredible. Yeah. And then there are many, many other tools out there that allow you to create music now really easily. There's tools out there now that are going to be able, they, they're getting really, really close to simulating your own voice, your own voice. And I guarantee you within a few years, you will be able to go onto a site, type in words, you train it on your own voice. You basically upload 10 of your podcasts, right? To the site, the AI analyzes 10 of your podcasts, and then it will literally replicate your voice. So you could literally do an entire podcast based off writing 
not even you talking. And it could get the inflections and the, you know, when I get excited and all this stuff, it's not here yet. Right now it's here, but it's, it's still not as good as your voice. But right. I guarantee you in five years, you won't be able to tell the difference, whether it's me talking right now or I'd scripted this entire thing. So it's going to totally change the nature of podcasts. There may be interviews in podcasts where literally it's not a real-time interview. It's an asynchronous question back and forth, and then it's compiled and then broadcast. And it's all done by text. Like you're literally chatting with somebody in an application, and then they feed that text, they edit it, they edit the text, and they feed it into one of these voice simulators, and boom! They also have other software out there for audio. They have software out there right now. You know, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but a lot of times you'll take a song that you've gotten, whether you've licensed it or created it with AI, and you'll try to fit it to a certain amount of time, like your intro, right? Mm -hmm. And then you want it to end nicely. And I have spent hours trying to get that end to perfectly, you know, taper off. So it feels like it really ends. It doesn't feel like I just lowered you the just, volume. It's at, just dropping off completely. Yeah, the dropping yeah. off at some weird point. And you, you know, and it doesn't, you know, your brain, music has a cadence to it, you know, the, the rhythm. And you want it to kind of come to a natural end, not just drop off the volume. Well, they now have AI that will do that for you. They literally have AI out there. You can go Google it right now that will literally fit your music into any uh, size length. So you can say, I want this music to be 30 seconds and stop exactly at second number 32. And it will go boom. <laughs> and then it will make a really nice ending at 32. It's incredible. I mean, the, yeah. the tools that are out there and it's interesting, Steve, I... I participated in a podcast interview a couple of years ago, and I'm trying to remember the name of the podcast, but it was the, it was like an AI generated, it was like a text to question, uh -huh. just exactly how you're explaining it. And I, it was definitely from the host perspective and me listening to the question, it was very robotic, like it certainly did not nail the voice, but it got the job done yeah. and it was I, I really you, I, I, interesting. I hate those synthesized voice right now. Like you'll get them on a lot of YouTube videos and I just don't even watch the videos with those voices. But what I'm talking about is the next generation when those voices right. are literally indistinguishable. They do sound like your voice and it yeah. will get there. Yeah, it will get. And that's going to be really, and the music right now is here. So the music is here. All those tools are here. You know, another good use of like chat GPT for podcasters is literally uh, you can put in a name, especially if they're a well-known person, uh, you know, if they're a celebrity, and you can ask it, what questions should I ask this person? Interesting. It will tell you, like ChatGPT will tell you what questions you should be asking. Uh, the better, the if they're not well, you can ask in general, like what are good questions to ask for podcast hosts? And it will give you a list of kind of generic questions. But mm -hmm. if it knows the actual person because they have, they've, they've done a lot on the internet, um, that is a great way to do your research and actually maybe come up, you know, you don't have to ask every question it suggests, but if it's, if there are three really good questions there that you might not have thought of, it's worth the, the five minutes it took you to go to chat GPT. And this is the future. Like I'm talking now, it's only going to get, you know, they're launching GPT four, which is the one after three. Um, it's going to be like a hundred times more powerful. And so you can start to understand that these tools for podcasts are going to be more and more important. Also doing research, like who is this person? What have they done? Really yeah. quickly, like Google's good, um, but the AI tools are going to supplement that in a really interesting way 
for podcasters and giving you ideas on topics, like what topics should I be covering right now? All of this stuff. Um, because you know, like being on the, t it's really important, I think for podcasters and I don't do this enough myself, but it's, but I know I should to actually like whatever your podcast is about to be looking at where the public consciousness is like what's mm -hmm. trending right now. What do people want to understand and know about? You can use tools out there, even tools like Google keyword search and things like that to find out what people are searching for. Um, that will give you ideas on what you should be talking about. And then it has to, of course, relate to your business or or the folk, your top focus of your podcast. Yeah, well, I was going to say too, just the relevancy of, of having your most recent guest on, I was thinking that you must do a fair amount of research into, you know, what is trending? What do people want to hear? Um, are, do you put a lot of thought into that before you are inviting guests onto the show? Yes. So I reject most people who apply to us. Yeah. So I have to look very carefully at their background because a lot of them just, it's not going to be right for our audience or I'm not interested. And if I'm not interested, I'm not going to uh, interview that person. But, you know, I'm always doing research. So I'm a geek, like I told you already, like I'm, I'm a game geek. I've made and designed, you know, games, you know, probably over 50 games. And I'm, uh, uh, I'm also a tech geek. So I, um, you know, my, my most recent book is actually the five forces that change everything. Mm -hmm. This book is all about the latest technology. So when I, I got so fascinated by AI, that's why I'm talking about it a lot. I also covered CRISPR gene editing, covered nanotech, covered space travel, all these technologies that are fundamentally changing the world we live in. So I'm always looking uh, for people uh, who are using or creating these technologies. Because these technologies, like what we're seeing now is the tip of the iceberg. Like we saw a lot of change over the past 30 years with the internet and computers and everything. It ain't nothing like yeah. compared to where we're going. Like a lot of what I'm interested in, and I actually have given TED Talks about this and everything, are brain computer interfaces. Like so, mm -hmm. you know, right now. Uh, people are talking about putting chips in your brain. People, yep. most people won't do that unless you have a, a severe medical condition. You know, we're not going to say put a chip in my brain. It's just too scary. But there'll come a point in the not too distant future, definitely within our lifetimes or most of our lifetimes, uh, where there will be highly effective, non-invasive brain computer interfaces. So these are literally devices like a headband that you just put on your head and it can literally, you can start to download and, and potentially even upload information in a two-way channel to the internet. And if it sounds like science fiction to, to people out there, they have these devices. They actually exist today. Now, they're very crude uh, because the, the technology to actually read your brainwaves without putting a, drilling a hole in your, your skull is not uh, there yet. But that doesn't mean it won't be. It's going to take one breakthrough, and they're getting really close, really close now. One breakthrough to literally uh, be able to start to decode all those signals going through your brain. Um, and they're using all sorts of different uh, technologies uh, like uh, light, basically uh, light at different wavelengths that they shine into your skull, that can penetrate your skull and actually start to map out your brain waves. and. I will tell you, it's going to be, it's going to, be, uh, uh, it's, it's going to completely change podcasting too, <laughs> because imagine when your entire audience and you are literally communicating directly with the internet. 
um, yeah. and what that means, right? Asking questions, pulling all the power of these AIs will suddenly be inside your head. And you and and the power of all your thoughts can actually be projected outwards. And it's it's um it, that those type of things completely fascinate me because that's going to change because podcasting, it's just another form of communication. And right. it's like you said, it's a great form because, you know, the thing I love about podcasting is that I can literally be doing other things as I listen. So I listen mm -hmm. to podcasts when I exercise. I listen to podcasts in the shower. I listen to podcasts when I'm doing the dishes or doing yard work, you know? It's like I can have it in the background, just going all my favorite podcasts. Like, it's so easy now. Well, we're going to get to the next generation where the internet and all the information and all our interactions and all these things with people will be literally going on simultaneously with everything we do. And so it's kind of like taking that podcasting metaphor that I just gave to the next level. Yeah, it's incredible. And we've all seen it, right? We've seen like variations of these technologies in sci-fi movies, but they are oh, yeah. becoming a reality. And it's they just... are become like all this stuff, like, you know, when chat GPT launched and I've been following that super closely, actually in my book that just came out, I was predicting this would happen very soon. Like I was yeah. like, it's, it's going to happen. You know, it's kind of like magic. And have you ever... You know, another great tool for podcasters, because a lot of your listeners are probably people yes. with podcasts. Yeah, you know, keep them coming. Have you come to, have you gone to mid-journey? No. So you've done Dolly. Have you done Dolly? So Dolly no. and, and mid-journey, and there's another stability AI, and there's a, a bunch of other ones out there. These are tools that allow you to create graphics, literally oh. create mind-blowing images literally by typing in some text descriptors yeah so you can type yeah. in i want a cat in uh, on mars in a spacesuit you know uh you know building sandcastles you could just type that in and it will give you a mind-blowing image of a beautiful likely rendered and then you can do i want it totally stylized i want it in anime style i want it in you know photorealistic style i want it in you know like uh, pixar toy story style whatever you put in there uh, or i want it painted like van gogh it will just create it for you and it'll be in front of you so for podcasters who want little images for their websites for their Mark, all the podcasters I know are doing marketing stuff on, you know, Instagram and everything else. You can create these images for your podcast in seconds. And they yeah. are like, to get an artist to create that, it would cost thousands of dollars because they're so detailed and takes so, and then you can tweak them. Like, you don't, I don't like that. Change a few keywords and boom, you know? And so I, I encourage every one of your listeners to go out there to these sites and start playing with these tools because suddenly it opens up a whole new vista for you and a whole new tool set for you for uh, primarily for, for podcasters to be for marketing, but also just to actually experience these things is it's kind of a, a joy. It's like playing. It's not like work at all. Yeah. I can't remember what we used at the office. We played around one day. I mean, it was, it was probably very similar to mid journey, but we were like typing in all sorts of crazy descriptors. Could have been Dolly. Yeah. Those things, the, the interesting thing is over the last six months, I've been tracking these tools. The first time you used them uh, six months ago or so, they were pretty kind of crude. They did yeah. an okay job. Like they were like, oh, that's interesting. Now you go in, and they are giving you art that with just the same keywords that is literally makes your jaw drop. Like, 
oh my God, it could create this. And it's original. You can just start, you, you know, the copyright law is out on these. Like a lot of right. illustrators are really pissed off, right? Sure. Because, uh, it, what they're doing is you can literally type in whoever your favorite illustrator is or artist is, and it will do it in their same style. Now the picture will be totally original. Like it won't be their picture, but it'll be done in exactly their style. But we we don't really have a rule in art that you can just copyright a style, right? Right. Because, you know, you can't copyright Art Deco style. You can't copyright, you know. Right, you can't, yeah, you can't, like a whole you can't movement. Copyright, right, because it's, these are move, styles are kind of movement. But the styles are so specific that the AI can ge literally generate it. You couldn't distinguish it from that artist, from what the artist created. Yet you are creating it with this tool. So we get into this murky area. But right now, uh, people, I mean, I think it's going to be impossible for the government to regulate this um, mm -hmm. because literally if they do, they would cut off so much innovation potential for, yeah. for, for creative. We sort of have to say, okay, you pioneered this style. You can get credit for pioneering this, but now literally any AI can just copy you because that's the future, right? And, and uh, what does that do? Well, it puts that creativity into a lot more hands. All of mm -hmm. us can be Van Gogh now, instantly create anything in a Van Gogh style. All of us could be, you know, any current uh, amazing illustrator. We can create in their style as good as them. And then it's just our imagination. It's just what we can come up with. So AI can also write stuff like um, ChatGTP. Another thing it can do that's really interesting is when you type in it, you can type in, I want to write in the style. I want you to write in the style of a certain podcaster out there you like you could say uh you know or radio hosts like howard stern and it will i like tried it with howard stern it will literally take whatever i wrote and write it like howard stern and it sounds just like howard stern or joe rogan or whoever you know whatever you know person is out there you can type their name who has a distinctive style and they have enough of their work out there so that the ai can sample it so this is interesting because not only will people be able to simulate your voice in the future but they will actually be able to simulate through these uh, text inputs, your style of speaking, talking, writing, everything. So they can simulate you entirely. <laughs> like, they could, like, so this gets really weird. Like, can, yeah. will somebody legally be able to do a podcast with your voice in your style of talking, all synthesized by AI in the future without your permission? Where do we draw the line? So with these poor animators now, like we think about these poor animators, you know, they're being ripped off, right? Because they developed this style. They might've spent years and years and years perfecting the style of animation that's used in children's books or other things, right? And now anybody can literally type in their name and create a children's book with their exact style. Of course, they can't use their name, right? But they could use their exact style. People can copy people's writing style and put it in a book. Um, People can do this to podcasts. We are getting into a really murky legal area. And like I said, do we want to regulate this? Do we want to shut this down now and make people pay royalties on it? Do we want to keep it open? There are advantages and disadvantages to both, right? They're, uh, uh, putting Opening this up allows everybody to be more creative, but it also the people who originated that, are they being treated fairly? I don't have answers to these questions. Society is going to have to, figure this out. But it's really interesting for your listeners who are podcasters to think, would I be, would I be happy with that? Right. And if you're not mm -hmm. happy with that, now is the time to speak out because literally this technology is just, you know, a matter of 
you know, years away before somebody can take your entire podcast and literally replicate it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's been, it's interesting because I have, you know, certain feelings about it all, but I do think we've throughout time, right. We've come across new technologies that have perhaps given us this perception that, that, um, you know, what, where's creativity? Where do, where does the copyright law, what, where does this fall into the big scheme of things? And I think, you know, we all are looking for original thoughts and ideas. And I think as a society, we tend to push against people. Like if, if somebody's writing in the same style as a, as a famous author, you know, we will question that, right. As consumers, like, oh, well, you're kind of ripping the style of so and so. Yeah, or like an artist who's trying to, you know, if, replicate if a something. Artist, we push back. We do push back, and I think that that will continue, right? Because we're constantly, as a society, we are encouraging people to have original thoughts, original creativity, um, and I do think, you know, I've heard a lot of people voice concern around how this is going to, you know people aren't going to be able to, they're not going to be able to think or process for themselves, but there is parts of using these tools effectively where you actually do have to be pretty creative yourself. Yeah. If you just rely on the tool, you're going to get garbage in garbage out, right? It's not, they're not going to do it for, it's just like Photoshop. Does that make you less of an artist using Photoshop? No. I mean, you you still have to use that tool in the right way and put in your creativity or you're not going to get anything out. These AI yeah. tools, although they're they're exponentially more powerful, uh, at the end of the day, the best stuff, and the best stuff is always what people will gravitate towards. People will yes. always go to the very best, just like the very best podcast get the vast majority, 90% of the, the listens and the other 90% of the podcast get 10% of the listens. You know, that's the the law of, of human nature. Um, yep. So, but in these tools, they're just upping the game. It just means we're going to create better, richer, deeper content with, with in less time and content that we could have never created before. It actually gives, they give individuals a, a far more power in some ways because you can literally leverage the power of these massive, you know, these massive computer systems uh, and this technology uh, alone, whereas before you might've needed a team of people that you couldn't afford to hire, like all these artists, like most individual creators who are podcasters can't don't have a lot of money to, to spend mm-hmm. on these things. But if you have the creativity and the ideas, these tools will amplify them. So I don't think they will make us any less creative. Like we yeah. will always, uh, we will, uh, it will always be us, uh, we will have to be creative. It's how we use them and how we use them creatively in society. It does change the game though. So it does change the game in terms of like getting royalties and getting, you know, uh, things like that. It will, it will change our entire, the entire entertainment, uh, uh, industry, uh, information industry, whether you're an information podcaster or an entertaining podcaster or both, uh, it's going to entirely change the landscape and how we do things. And if you are leveraging these early, and that's why I want to encourage your listeners to not ignore these, to actually start playing with them now, because you want to be on the cutting edge, because that's what's going to give you an an advantage to leapfrog everybody else. You're going to figure out how to use these tools even better, to do even better content than everybody else. And at the end of the day, everybody will come to whatever's best. So, and if you're not doing it, somebody else will. Yeah. 
Absolutely. No, I totally agree. And, you know, it, it, with the exception of those, you know, handful of podcasts that do really well and that everyone listens to, yes, it's a, it's a grind as you know, to, oh, yeah. I mean, to produce most content. Of the podcasts I know make very little money. Yeah. Um, if any, uh, it's, it's really, really tough. Um, so, uh, you have, I encourage every podcaster out there, if I've learned anything, it's if your podcast isn't taking off, just scrap it. Yeah. Like literally scrap it and start over and mm -hmm. start something crazy. Start something that's just like you th that there's nothing else out there like it. If you do another Me Too podcast, and it's hard because a lot of us do like podcasting isn't my main business. My main business is venture capital investing, uh, running founder space. Podcasting is sort of a fun hobby for me. So I don't need it to be the number one thing. But if this is your livelihood and you need it to be number one, I'm telling you, uh, you got to do something just totally out there. Just, just yeah. so different and crazy. That And that finds its audience, right? And if you can get, if you get, you know, a hundred people to tune into your podcast and they go, oh, that's really good. That's really good. I will tell you, you've totally failed. You've totally failed. You've totally failed because everybody's going to say, oh, that's really good. And then they're never going to come back. You mm -hmm. need to get a podcast out there where not a hundred people say it, maybe just 10 or 20 say, oh my God, that is the most mind blowing thing I've heard. Like, I'm going to tune into this like every day. You, you know, I'm going to subscribe. This is this. I've been waiting for this podcast. You find that that audience. It doesn't have to be everybody, you know, but it just goes absolutely nuts over you. The world now is a big enough place that if you can get 10 out of 100 people, that's a huge market. Like 10 yeah. out of 100 people to go absolutely nuts over you and tell all their friends. That's what you want. No, I totally agree. But I, and I do think that everyone everyone comes to the world of podcasting with a with wanting a different outcome, right? Like you're like as you mentioned, this isn't your primary. So yeah. is it is it serving what it's supposed to be serving for what you yeah, so were for, intending? Right. So for a lot of business people, it's not their primary thing, right? Right. Uh, we're doing it uh, for our already existing. Uh, fans, you know, I write all these books. I, I, I do run Founder Space, which is a big startup accelerator. So we're writing it for those people and then other people too. Uh, it doesn't have to compete with the very top podcasts in the world as long as it it reinforces their connection to us and creates value for both parties. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of people I know, that's what their focus is. So if you're like a business person, a consultant, you know, a lot of marketing experts, people like that, uh, doing a podcast that isn't totally unique because it aligns with your business is fine. Um, yeah. and, but then there's other people out there who want to hit podcast. And if you want to hit podcast, well, that's another story entirely. And that's an incredibly hard get. And like you said, Steve, like you've got to take like some very radical approach that yeah. hasn't been done before and that you're pushing the boundaries. Cause I mean, ultimately that's like for the, for the majority of people to want to tune into something, you got to push them a little bit you and whether it. it's you... like thinking a little bit differently or disrupting the way that they have, you know, have like a preconceived idea that they have, there has to be something a little bit outrageous. There does. There has to be something that makes their jaw drop and then they go, oh my God, I didn't think mm -hmm. this was a podcast. You know, <laughs> this catches their attention because there's so much out there. There's just so much content. Um, but, the, and it's, and then you have to figure out how to promote your podcast outside the podcast itself. Like it's fine yes. to promote it. You got to attach it to a bigger vehicle. Like, so what's a bit, it can be a movement. 
uh, that's happening right now where you're very active in the movement and you're engaging with all the people. And the movement could be a political movement. It could be a, a, a social movement. It could be uh, just a trend, like things people are totally into, you know, whatever the latest sports trend is, like some new, you know, when yoga came up, if you were like the first, like, yoga podcaster who is really into it, like you could amass a huge audience because there weren't a lot of yoga podcasts and yoga was a thing that was rising. So it could be any sort of activity or people, you know, adventure activity that people are totally like, if you become, if your thing is motocross and you become like the number one motocross podcaster out there and you're at your, first of all, you'd be going to all the motocross events. So you'd be meeting all the people who will be your listeners and getting in with them and in interviewing these people like you just I think you have to go really deep and really uh niche um mm -hmm. of course niches are big today right and just become like number one in that area that's how you break through that's how you make like a commercially viable podcast that can actually support you yeah I totally agree so you know just kind of thinking about um as we wrap up this conversation thinking about how you've taken your podcast, you've done roughly 58 episodes now. You started in 2021. Is that yep. correct? Yeah. How are you pushing it out to, to your listeners, to your audiences? Where have you, I know that you have your, the founder space as an organization to kind of lift the podcast up, but is there any strategies that you've yes. used? Yes, absolutely. So uh, we have a mailing list of over a hundred thousand people. Uh, wow. so that, you know, for founder space that we let them know when our episodes come out, uh, I'm, you know, always traveling the world doing public speaking. I have, uh, three different popular books, make elephants fly, surviving a startup, the five forces, which all, uh, kind of reinforce this content network and a big thing we do, uh, and how I actually got introduced to you was, uh, we do podcast exchanges. So if mm. like any of your listeners are like, or your 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 clients are like super uh uh super uh uh podcasters and they have something really interesting to tell we'll invite them on ours and we'll have them on theirs we think that's a really good way to help each other out and yeah. to get great content absolutely and that's a great idea i mean i i i tell people this all the time the the important the important piece of podcasting is to not only have your own podcast, but to go on other podcasts because yes. people are in that. That's the ecosystem that they're in. So you're asking somebody during a podcast episode, you're on my podcast right now. We're going to promote your podcast. Somebody's already here, right? Wherever they're streaming this from, they're already in the ecosystem. So it's just a simple jump over to Steve's podcast. And the very, the hard part about that is you have to be, particular. So you have, it has to be a good match for both parties. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if it isn't, you have to just be honest. Like, so, uh, you know, I will do diligence on the person, listen to their podcasts and do other stuff to make sure beforehand it's a good match. Otherwise we just won't do it because it, it doesn't always make sense. So it is good to do podcast exchanges, not always right. Sometimes, you know, I might, they might be right to be on my podcast, but I not, might not be right to be on theirs or vice versa. We could still do that, even though we meet, you know, by an introduction for an exchange or something like that. You still have to make those hard calls. If you don't, your podcast will end up being diluted. It won't be good. Yeah, I totally agree. No, this has been fantastic. Is there anything else as we wrap up this conversation, knowing that our audience is mostly podcast hosts? What other words of wisdom would you like to drop before we 
end so this episode. The, the only other thing I would say is have fun with it, right? Podcasts yeah. should be fun. Like you should like, it, you know, for me, the great joy is like, even if I have no listeners, I've met so many amazing people. Like, and, and like I'm meeting you and we're talking and having a great conversation. So I've had conversations that have really stimulated my mind where I'm always learning. And you figure that alone, if you're getting really smart people and uh, being on their podcasts, having them on yours, you're learning a lot. So it's mm -hmm. not a waste of your time. The other thing is keep it simple. Your podcast, make it easy to edit. The, uh, the production value matters, but literally you don't have to over edit them. Like some people like spend forever editing. Oh. I'm like, get better at interviewing, like practice interviewing, read all the books about how to do a good interview. Because if you do a good interview like you're doing now, I don't know that you need to edit this that much. Maybe I'm just fooling myself, but I probably think you probably don't have to edit it that much, you know, to, to you know, you could just do a few edits and you're there. Um, that will save you a lot of time and allow you to be a lot more productive and make it a much more enjoyable process. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I I rarely edit a podcast interview, very rarely. Yeah, me Even too. if something happens, like I was doing a podcast episode one time and a picture fell off the wall and made a huge <laughs> crash, but it was actually kind of funny. That's and we talked funny. about it for about five minutes. And, and yeah, it's just, so if it's, it's the if human it's, nature of it. Yeah, as long as, you know, if a person asks me when they're on my interview, it's just like, can you cut that out? I'll go cut it out. You know, yeah, if it's yeah. a really annoying thing, like a weed blower going by, you know, and it's, you know, one of these leaf blowers that's coming by and totally ruining it, I'll cut it out or use software on it. But uh, most everything else, I just try to, if you have good guests, you don't need to edit a lot because the, I, you interview a lot of podcasts. So, so I'm sure they're pretty, you know, versed in being, you know, giving uh, good talk back and forth. Um, depends on your guests. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I do have boring, that working for me. If they're super boring, uh, then you need a lot of editing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is one benefit to interviewing hosts is that they come very prepared and they're used to this sort of dialogue is uh, versus having guests on who maybe haven't been on a lot of podcasts. Yeah. If you screen your guests, you should not have to edit a lot because they yeah. should know they should be pretty good. And do so you do I, that? Do you do an intro call with them? In so I well, I'll listen to their other podcasts, and then sometimes I'll do an intro call. Okay. Uh, to if I'm if I'm if I'm on the fence, if they're sure. like good, they're good. I could tell, right? They're going to be fine. But if they're not, uh, then I'll do an intro call. Yeah. No, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Steve. I'm so happy that you got into the power of AI in podcasting. This is definitely something that I have not discussed before. There are so many tools. I will make sure and make these tools available in the in the description. Cool. Maybe we'll use some AI tools to write the description for this episode. Yes, and maybe some images too. So yeah, um, yeah. And if your audience wants to reach out to me for any reason, super easy to find. Go to founderspace.com. Founderspace.com. You can literally go there. There's a contact form. It'll get to me. Like uh, you just put my name. Hey, I want to talk to Steve. It'll get to me. Um, and I'm on all the social networks if they want to find me. Great. Wonderful. And we'll make sure and include those as well. And Founderspace streams, I'm assuming on all of the obvious platforms. Yeah, we're on everyone. YouTube, we're on Spotify, we're on every single podcast network. You can also like, if you want to find me on social networks, search for Founderspace or even better, Captain Hoff. If you search for Captain Hoff, I'm probably the only one that comes up. <laughs> 
Excellent. Thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate this conversation. And thank you to everyone tuning in. I hope you learned a little bit and then we'll be able to at least have some fun with some new tools. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to Hosted, a podcast brought to you by Kitcaster, a podcast booking agency. If you want to find out more about Kitcaster, about Hosted, find us on all of the relevant social channels and tune in to more episodes of Hosted. Take care.